Welcome to this special episode from Neozaz.com, the 1995 KTAR 620 AM War of the Worlds, part of our War of the Worlds Week 2020 event and part of our even bigger 2020 Halloween celebration. I am Matt, and I am your host for this episode, but you won't be hearing that much from me in this one. That is because in this episode, I'll be sharing another spectacular War of the Worlds broadcast. By now, you probably know this annual War of the Worlds week started with my fandom of the 1938 Orson Welles and the Mercury Theater on the air broadcast of their version of War of the Worlds. That broadcast has inspired many, many remakes, tributes, homages, and anything and everything in between. And believe it or not, I have over 200 different recordings of some sort of version of that radio drama titled War of the Worlds. Most of them I won't be listening to ever again or sharing in future episodes, but there's something to the fact that the original broadcast has inspired so many people to do it again in one form or another and share it. And that includes radio stations doing their own versions decades after the initial broadcast. One of those stations was KTAR 620 AM in Phoenix, Arizona. KTAR took on the task of recreating War of the Worlds with an original script, adapting it to fit their area and include the modern tools of their trade. It's not as reimagined as the WKBW Buffalo, New York versions that I've talked about over the years now, but it's also not a carbon copy of the 1938 original. It's a really well done modern production of that original script. KTR 620 AM was and is a sports network, and that'll be pretty evident as the show plays. It still exists today on that same frequency, 620 AM, but now as ESPN Phoenix. It was written by Duff McMahon and featured radio personalities Pat McMahon and numerous personalities of KTAR. It aired on Halloween night 1995, and it's one that I've come across myself just a few years ago looking for content for this annual event. And it's one that I've really come to enjoy, and by sharing it now, I hope you do as well. And the only way to find out if you will is to play it. So here we go. Here is the 1995 KTAR 620 AM Phoenix, Arizona version of The War of the Worlds. This is KTAR 620 AM Phoenix. The following is brought to you by Ottawa University, providing educational programs for adult learners. The War of the Worlds 1995 is a work of fiction. A simulation of what an alien invasion might sound like if you were listening to KTAR. None of what you're about to hear is really happening. And now, turn the lights down low. Close your eyes and don't panic. Welcome to the end of the world. This is Mark McCoy, Vice President and General Manager of KTAR Radio. On October 30th, 1938, the country was sent into a panic. Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt our program of dance music to bring you a special bulletin from the Intercontinental Radio News. At 20 minutes before 8 central time, Professor Farrell of the Mount Jennings Observatory, Chicago, Illinois, reports observing several explosions on the planet Mars. The Mercury Theater, produced by John Hausman and starring Orson Welles, had only been on the air for a little over a month. But that night, they would make history. We take you now to Grover's Mills, New Jersey. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Carl Phillips again, out at the Wilmot Farm, Grover's Mill, New Jersey. The War of the Worlds was a monumental achievement. In 1938, the technology to cut to a remote broadcast site was in its infancy at best. 
Yet the panic they created is an ironic tribute to the skill of the writers, the actors, and producers. Especially impressive when you consider it was all done live. Incredible as it may seem, both the observations of science and the evidence of our eyes lead to the inescapable assumption that those strange beings who landed in the Jersey farmlands tonight are the vanguard of an invading army from the planet Mars. The panic spread north and west. In Newark, people wrapped their faces in wet towels and fled. In Pittsburgh, a man returned home just in time to stop his wife from swallowing poison. In Indianapolis, a woman rushes into a church screaming New York was destroyed and they all might as well go home to die. The church ended its service. In Boston, swarms of calls to the police swore they could see the glare of the fire as New York burned. Incredibly, there were no serious injuries directly attributable to War of the Worlds, but it will live forever as a moment in time that illustrates the power that a simple broadcast can have over the public. A power that in today's media culture just isn't utilized like it was in the beginning. There was a time when listening to the radio was an incredibly visual experience. We believe it still can be. There has never been a television show, movie, or photograph that can approach the splendor, the warmth, the horror, and the majesty of the picture your imagination paints as you listen to sound. What follows is our version of the broadcast that for one brief moment united the country in fear. Remember, this is not real. It's a fictional interpretation of an alien invasion. The KTAR players proudly present the H.G. Wells classic based on the Mercury Theater production. This is War of the Worlds, 1995. century. This world was being watched closely by intelligence greater than man's, and yet as mortal as his own. We know now that as human beings busied themselves about their various concerns, they were scrutinized and studied. 
perhaps almost as narrowly as a scientist might microscopically scrutinize the transient creatures that swarm and multiply in a drop of water. Complacent people went to and fro over the earth about their little affairs, serene in the assurance of the dominion over this small spinning fragment of solar driftwood, which by chance or design, man has inherited out of the dark mystery of time and space. Yet across an immense ethereal gulf, intellects, vast, cool, and unsympathetic, regarded this earth with envious eyes. slowly and surely drew their plans against us. In this last decade of the century, this 95th year, came a great disillusionment. It's the end of October. Politics and world affairs are the same. Employment and the economy are looking up. People are beginning to think about and plan for the holidays ahead. And as people go about the nightly routines, tonight, thousands of Arizonans are listening to their radios. All right, back here on KTAR 620. Thanks again to Bob Hirsch and the Great Outdoors talking fishing, hunting, hiking, camping, something we do every week here on the Sports Line. Hey, we're out here tomorrow night. I think we're going to have Charles Barkley join us. Also, the Paul Westfall Show and uh, the Bruce Snyder Show, too, talking about ASU and their upcoming game. Up next at Strauss's Place, we will talk to you tomorrow night here on KTAR 620. I'm Brad Sussmat. Have a great evening, everybody. KTAR News on the hour. Good evening, I'm Bart Graves. These are some of the stories we're covering at this hour. Rural Metro firefighters say they're hoping to get a handle on a major brush fire in North Scottsdale at this hour. Now KTAR weather for the valley. Here's Ed Phillips. This evening, our weather maps show that for the next 24 hours, we won't have much change in temperatures. There has, however, been a slight atmospheric disturbance being reported over Alaska. That could cause low-pressure area to move down rapidly into the southwestern corner of the country, bringing a little rain and the possibility of strong winds. If this low-pressure center reaches Arizona, it could cool the valley with temperatures down into Ed, the... Uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. This is Bart Graves. We just received a special news report that the Hubble Space Observatory has reported observing several explosions of incandescent gas occurring at regular intervals on the planet Mars. Professor Robert Farrell of NASA has indicated the gases appear to be a hydrogen mixture, and the emanation from these gases appear to be moving toward the Earth with enormous velocity. Professor Richard Pearson of the Lowell Observatory in Flagstaff has confirmed uh, this observation uh, to us and has described the phenomenon as, quote, like a jet trail of blue flame shot from a gun, unquote. We will keep you updated on this unusual cosmic event tonight as we get more information. KTAR News Time, 9 o'clock. This is KTAR 620 AM News Talk Radio. First, we report the news. Then, we talk about it. Welcome to Strauss's Place. Here's a place where I can go. To join the conversation, call 277-5827. That's 277-KTAR. 
And now, here's your host, KTAR's Bill Strauss. Boy, I have never started off a show before with explosions on Mars. I've got a rather interesting show for you tonight. In fact, uh, some might say it's a rather spacey show, keeping with the tone that's already been set. I'm going to introduce you to a guy who honestly, in his heart, believes that pasta has tremendous healing powers. He says he's used fettuccine to cure a number of Bill, different... this is Mark Graves again. We've received an update on the explosions on Mars. NASA has just sent a request to the large observatories around the country to keep an astronomical watch on any further disturbances on the planet Mars. Uh, due to the unusual nature of this event, we have contacted KTAR news anchor Ned Foster, who was on special assignment in Flagstaff, and is now with the noted astronomer Professor Richard Pearson of the Lowell Observatory. Ned, what are they saying in Flagstaff? Okay, while we work out our technical difficulties, let me repeat what is happening at this hour. Reports have come in that what appears to be some type of gaseous emissions are moving towards the Earth from the planet Mars. Got Ned, go. it, it is okay. Okay, apparently we now have Ned on the line from the Lowell Observatory in Flagstaff. Ned, can you fill us in on what may be causing these emissions? Well, I'm speaking to you from the Lowell Observatory. I'm standing in a large semicircular room. It's pitch black except for an oblong split in the ceiling. Through the opening, I can see a sprinkling of stars that cast a kind of frosty glow over the intricate mechanisms of this huge telescope. The ticking sound you hear is the vibration of the clockwork. I'm here with Professor Pearson. He's on a small platform above me, peering through the giant lens. The disturbances have been causing some technical difficulties, so please bear with us. Now, because of the nature of this phenomenon, Professor Pearson has been in close contact with the NASA Space Center along with other observatories around the world, and so he may be interrupted during our interview. Uh, Professor, Professor Pearson, can, can you describe to our audience exactly what you've observed through your telescope regarding the disruptions on the planet Mars? Well, right now, there's nothing unusual. Uh, it Professor, looks... could, you, could you step down? Oh, sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm saying right now, there's nothing unusual. It uh, just looks like a red disk swimming in a blue sea. The transverse stripes that you see across the disk are quite distinct now because Mars happens to be at the point nearest the Earth uh, in opposition, as we call it. Now, Professor, do you think these transverse stripes might have anything to do with the gaseous emissions? Well, those who once imagined Mars to be inhabited thought they were canals, but as we know, they're not canals. From the photographs taken by the Viking probes, we know that the stripes are merely the result of atmospheric conditions peculiar to the planet. Then you're quite convinced as a scientist that living intelligence as we know it couldn't exist on Mars? Well, no one can say for sure, but uh, I'd say the chances are a million to one against it. Well, how do you account for the gas eruptions occurring on the surface, then, of the planet at such regular intervals? Right now, I can't account for it. Professor Pearson, for the benefit of our listeners, how far is Mars from the Earth? Approximately 40 million miles. Well, that seems like a safe enough distance to me. Oh, just a moment. Somebody has just handed Professor Pearson a message. Now, while he reads it, let me remind you that we're on KTAR 620, speaking to you from the Lowell Observatory in Flagstaff with noted scientist and astronomer Professor Richard Pearson. Professor Pearson has just given me the facts he received. May I read it to our audience, Professor? Well, certainly, yes. This fax addressed to Professor Pearson is from Dr. Lloyd Gray of the Earthquake Seismographic Center in Los Angeles. 
Dr. Gray reports seismographic activities show that an earthquake measuring over six on the Richter scale has occurred in northern Arizona with the epicenter located near Williams. No earthquake activity has been reported to local police. Would you please investigate? Signed, Lloyd Gray, director. Yeah, Professor Pearson, could this occurrence have anything to do with the disturbances we've been observing on Mars? Uh, hardly. Uh, this is probably a meteorite of unusual size, and its arrival at this particular time is merely a coincidence. However, we will conduct a search as soon as it's daylight. All right, thank you very much, Professor. This is Ned Foster, KTAR News, and I've been speaking with the noted scientist and astronomer, Professor Richard Pearson from the Lowell Observatory. Bill will keep you and your audience informed on any new developments up here. All right. Thanks a lot, Ned. That's KTAR's Ned Foster. You know what? I'm going to make an executive decision here, a big one. We're going to blow off the pasta guy. I know some of you are going to be disappointed. I promise we will have him back some night when there are not disturbances on the planet Mars. But right now, I would feel like we'd be letting you down if we didn't stay on this story. So we will keep you updated on all the developments that are, uh, that are going on. Do we have Doug? Okay. Go ahead, Doug. This is Doug Ninsel. We just received a new bulletin from Intercontinental Radio News, Vancouver, Canada. Professor Everett Morse of the University of British Columbia reports observing a total of three explosions on the planet Mars between the hours of 7.45 p.m. and 9.20 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Now, this confirms earlier reports received from American observatories. Nearer to home comes a special announcement from CAF Radio and Flagstaff and reporter Jim Titus. Doug, we've received a report that at 8.50 p.m., a huge flaming object believed to be a meteorite fell on a ranch just outside Williams, Arizona, about 35 miles from Flagstaff. The flash in the sky was visible within a radius of several hundred miles, and the noise of the impact was heard as far north as Las Vegas and south to Prescott. Your Ned Foster told us he's in a helicopter on his way to the scene right now and will report as soon as he can reach there from Flagstaff. This is Jim Titus, CAF Radio, Flagstaff. Thanks, Jim. Of course, KTAR Radio will continue to keep you up to date with the latest developments as far as these disturbances that we're hearing about on the planet Mars. Back to you, Bill. Oi. What a night. I know it's not OJ, but if any of you would like to talk about what's going on, you've got to have thoughts on this. The gases from Mars, meteorites, we're learning things about astronomy I, I've forgotten since grade school. Give us a call here at 277-5827, 277-KTAR. Let's go to the phones right now. Gloria in Scottsdale, welcome. Uh, yeah, Bill, doesn't this sound a little fishy? You know, couldn't this be just another government scam to get more money for NASA and the space program? We need a lot of things here at home. I don't think... Wait a second. Do we have them now? Okay. We have Ned Foster, who is at the location near Williams, where we've received reports of the meteorite falling. Ned. Yeah, Bill, I'm at the WW Ranch near Williams with Professor Richard Pearson, and I... Well, I hardly know where to begin to paint a word picture for you of this strange scene before my eyes. It really is something out of the X-Files. We just arrived, and I haven't had a chance to look around and get a good look yet, but right now I'm looking at what may possibly be a meteor or some kind of object directly in front of me. It must have struck with a tremendous force. It's half buried in a vast pit. The ground is covered with splinters from a tree it crushed on its way down. Now, what I can see of the uh, object itself doesn't look very much like a meteor, at least not the meteors that I've seen. It really looks more like a huge cylinder. 
has a diameter of, oh, I don't know, what would you say, Professor? Uh, about 30 yards. Uh, okay, about 30 yards. The metal on the sheath is, well, I've never seen anything like it either. The color sort of yellowish-white. Uh, curiosity seekers are, are now pressing close to the object in spite of the police efforts to keep them back. Uh, they're blocking my line of vision. Uh, would you mind standing on one side, please? Uh, I'm on the air with, with KTAR in Phoenix. Move on! Move on, everybody! Move back! You're getting too close! Everybody! Uh, the police are now pushing the crowd back. I have with me now Mr. Wilmoth. He's owner of the ranch, and he might be able to provide us with some additional information. Uh, Mr. Wilmoth, can you tell us as much as you remember of this rather unusual visitor that dropped into your backyard? Here, please step in a little closer to the mic. Well, I was, uh, I was watching the TV. Uh, Mr. Wilmoth, could you please come a little bit closer, speak a little bit louder, please? Sorry, uh... I was watching TV and kind of kind of drowsing. It was a National Geographic about alligators. Did you know them things can eat over two hundred pounds? That's that's fine. But but what happened outside? Well, as I was saying, I was watching the television, kind of halfway. Yeah, and then you saw something. No, no, not first off. First off, I heard something. Okay, what did you hear? Uh, a hissing sound like this. Kind of, kind of like a Fourth of July rocket. Okay, and then what? Well, I turned my head, I looked out the window. You know, I would have swore I was asleep and dreaming. Uh, yes, then, and I seen a kind of greenish streak, and then, bam! Something smacked the ground and knocked me clear out of my chair. Were you frightened? Well, I reckon I was kind of nervous. Okay, thank you very much, Mr. Wilmoth. You just heard Mr. Wilmoth, he's owner of the WW Ranch, where a meteorite has landed. I wish I could describe the atmosphere around here. It really is a fantastic scene. Hundreds of cars are parked in a field in back of us. The police are trying to rope off the roadway leading into the ranch, but it's really no use. People are breaking right through. The headlights of the cars throw an enormous spotlight on the pit where the object is half buried. Now, some of the more daring are venturing near the edge. Their silhouettes stand out against the sheen of the metal. One man wants to touch the thing. He, he, he's having an argument with a policeman. You, move back from there right now. I just want to have a look at Did you hear me? I said move back right now. Out! Move back! back. Well, the policeman wins. Now, in, in the light of all this excitement, there's something I haven't mentioned, but it's becoming more distinct. Perhaps you've already caught it on the radio. Listen. Can, can you hear that? Do you hear it? It's a kind of curious humming sound. Seems to be coming from inside the object. Here, let me move the microphone a little closer. Here. Now we're not more than 20 feet away. Can, can you hear it now? Oh, oh, Professor Pearson, can you explain what might be causing that scraping noise inside the object? Well, it, it could be the unequal cooling of its surface. Now, do you still think that's a meteor? I'm not sure exactly what to think. The metal casing is not anything I've ever seen, at least not on Earth. Friction with the Earth's atmosphere usually tears holes in a meteorite, yet, as you can see, this object is a smooth cylindrical shape. Uh, uh, just a minute, Professor. There's something going on by the object. Oh, you won't believe this. It's incredible. The end of the object is beginning to, to flake off, and the, the top is starting to rotate like a screw. It, it must be hollow. It's moving! What? Look at the top. It's starting to open. Keep back. Keep back, everybody. 
on Strauss's place, KTAR Phoenix. This is unbelievable. Unbelievable! Apparently there's been some sort of unidentified object that has crashed into the earth near Williams, Arizona. Nobody seems to agree on exactly what it is, and I'm no astronomer and I'm no genius, but this doesn't sound like a meteor to me. We've got Ned Foster back at the crash site. Ned, go ahead. Bill, I'm, I'm now on top of a ridge where I can get a view of the, the whole area. Uh, let me try to describe the scene here for as long as I can. More state police have arrived, along with National Guard units, choppers, armored vehicles. About 30 policemen have cordoned off the area in front of the pit. The crowd is finally keeping their distance. Uh, the police chief is now conferring with someone. I, I think it's Professor Pearson. And now they've parted. The professor's moving around to one side. He's studying the object while the police chief and two officers advance with something in their hands. I see it's a white handkerchief tied to a pole. It's a, a flag of truce. I wonder if who or whatever is in there will know what it means, what what anything means. Wait, wait, it's, it's starting to move. Uh, a rounded object is rising out of the pit. I, I can see a small beam of light against a mirror. Like a, a laser being emitted from the mirror at the advancing men. Oh, oh my God! They they burst into flames. My God, Bill! The, the whole field is on fire. The field, the woods, the gas tanks, and the cars and it's spreading everywhere. It, it's coming this way, about 20 yards to my right. Ned, Ned. We've lost our connection with Ned Foster. We're having some difficulty with the equipment or something. Bear with us. We will try to get him back online as soon as possible, I promise. Bill, this is Steve Clausen in the KTAR Newsroom. We do have a news item from San Diego, California. Professor Raymond Indelkoffer, speaking at a dinner for the California Astronomical Society, expressed the opinion that the explosions on Mars are undoubtedly nothing more than severe volcanic disturbances on the surface of the planet. Unbelievable. 
Do we have any word at all from Ned? Bill, this is Bruce Kirk, and I've just received news from Williams that at least 40 people, including six state troopers, have died in the field east of the WW Ranch. Their bodies have been burned beyond all possible recognition. Brigadier General Montgomery Smith, commander of the Arizona National Guard, is with us right now to give us an update on the situation outside of Williams. I have uh, been requested by the governor to place the counties of Coconino, Navajo, and Yavapai under martial law immediately. And as you uh, can see on this map, the area goes as far north as Fredonia and the Grand Canyon and all the way south to Prescott and Wickenburg. Now, no one will be permitted to enter the area except by special pass issued by state or military authorities. Right now, four companies of National Guard are proceeding from Phoenix to Williams, and they will be aiding in the evacuation of homes within the range of military operations. Uh, that's all I can tell you right now. You've been listening to General Montgomery Smith. He's the commander of the National Guard. I'm Bill Strauss, and we continue to get further details of the catastrophe near Williams. And our lines are being jammed. Uh, from the reports we're receiving, it appears that after the assault, these strange creatures, or whatever you want to call them, crawled back into the pit and have made no further attempt to prevent the efforts of our firemen to recover the bodies and extinguish the fire. Firefighters from around the area have been called in to combat the possible effects, which could be devastating. We don't know. Anyway, as of yet, we have not been able to establish contact once again with Ned Foster, but hope to be able to bring you further updates from the site as soon as possible. Just a second. Okay, uh, we apparently have located an eyewitness to the tragedy. He's Professor Richard Pearson. He set up an observation post near the ranch house. He's with us on the line. Professor, can you explain what the hell is happening? Is it real? Uh, I can't tell you much about the creatures at the landing site. I'm sorry. I, I can't give you much information either as to their nature or origin or purpose here. About their destructive instrument, I, I could explain their weapon as a type of killer laser. It's, uh, it's evident that these creatures have scientific knowledge far in advance of our own. It's my guess that they've been able to create in reality the type of laser beam that we've only seen in movies. This beam or this ray is projected at any object they choose, apparently by means of a polished parabolic mirror of unknown composition. Uh, it's much like a, a lighthouse projects a beam of light. You have to understand that's just conjecture. I've, I've only seen prototypes of this kind of laser weapon in laboratories. Thank you. We, we've received... Oh, my God. We've just been notified that... Indeed, the body of KTAR's Ned Foster has been identified at a Flagstaff hospital. Uh, I can't handle this. Could you take it for a few minutes? This is Doug Ninsel. We'll bring you more information on the, the loss of KTAR's Ned Foster as soon as we can. The office of the director of the National Red Cross reports 10 units of Red Cross emergency workers have been assigned to the headquarters of the National Guard stationed outside of Williams. Uh, the state police have reported that the fires in the vicinity of the site are now under control. Uh, as of now, all is quiet in the pit where the aliens have landed. Uh, there has not been any reported movement from the cylinder. Uh, we have Todd Wallace, program director of KTAR on the line. Uh, due to the gravity of the situation in Williams, 
KTAR Radio, in order to better serve the public interest, is preempting our regularly scheduled programming until further notice. Instead, KTAR 620 will be broadcasting continuing coverage of this crisis in Williams, Arizona. Uh, now back to KTAR News. This is Barbara Villa. We will now take you live to the field headquarters of the National Guard outside of Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Captain Lansing of the Arizona National Guard. Now, this situation we're talking about, the one that's arising from the reported presence of these certain individuals of unidentified nature, I've got to assure you is now totally under control. This cylindrical object, which lies in a pit directly below our position, and I can see it very clearly, is surrounded on all sides by eight battalions of infantry and armed tanks, mortars, and rocket launchers. Now, all cause for alarm. If any such cause existed, and I really doubt it, is now entirely unjustified. But I can see their hiding place plainly in the glare of the searchlights, and even with their reported resources, these creatures better not try another attack. Now, what is this? this there appears to be some smoke, some slight smoke in the woods bordering Bill Williams Mountain. Well, well, we'll see some action pretty soon. One of the companies is deploying on the left flank. I see something on top of the cylinder. No, no, it's nothing but a shadow, I believe. Now, wait. Something's moving. Maybe solid metal, kind of a shield-like thing rising up out of the cylinder. And it's standing on legs and uh, reaches above the trees. And... This is Doug Ninsel. We've lost our connection with the National Guard. As incredible as it may seem, both the observations of science and the evidence before us may lead to the assumption that those strange beings who landed in northern Arizona tonight could be the vanguard of some invading force from the planet Mars. We have received... We have received reports that what appears to be a two-mile radius surrounding the object is engulfed in flames. The battle which has taken place tonight at the WW Ranch has ended in one of the most startling defeats ever suffered by an army on American soil. 7,000 men armed with the latest field weapons pitted against a single fighting machine of the invaders. Reports out of Flagstaff advise that there may be only a hundred or so survivors. The rest are strewn over the battle area, crushed and trampled to death under the metal feet of the monster, or burned to cinders by its death ray. The monster is now in control of the northern area of Arizona and has effectively cut the state in half. Communications lines are down from New Mexico, Utah, Nevada to the, to the Pacific Ocean. Railroad tracks and airport runways in the area have been torn apart. Highways in every direction are clogged with frantic human traffic. Police and army reserves are unable to control the mad flight. By morning, this mass exodus will have overrun Albuquerque, Los Angeles, and Salt Lake City, causing further widespread panic. Doug, this is Barbara Villa. We've gotten this late word from the governor's office. As of this moment, martial law now prevails throughout Arizona and southern Nevada. Now, we've just received word from Washington, D.C. that Bruce Babbitt...
the Secretary of the Interior is getting ready to make a special announcement. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I have this statement. Uh, excuse me, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, this is Bruce Bobbitt. Arizona is my home state, and I am both concerned and saddened by the events tonight. Now, I shall not try to conceal gravity of the situation that not only confronts Arizona, but the whole country. Let me just say, the concern of your government uh, is in protecting the lives and property of its people. However, uh, I wish to impress upon you the urgent need of calm and resourceful action. Fortunately, this formidable enemy is still confined to a comparatively small area. We may place our faith in our military to keep them there. In the meantime, must continue to confront the destructive adversary with a united, courageous front, showing that human supremacy on this earth will prevail. Thank you. This is Bruce Kirk, KTAR 620 News. You've just been listening to Bruce Babbitt, Secretary of the Interior, speaking to you from Washington. Now, here at KTAR, calls keep coming in with reports from the north. We have been informed that radio and telephone communications in the central portion of Arizona has been disrupted due to the effect of the enemy laser on power and electrical lines. People with cellular phones are keeping us posted on the movements of these invaders. And we just received word that astronomers from around the world are reporting continuing gas outbursts at regular intervals occurring on the planet Mars. The majority of these scientists have voiced the opinion that enemy reinforcements are on their way to Earth. We've attempted to locate Professor Richard Pearson of the Lowell Observatory, who has observed Mars at close range. It is feared, though, that he was lost in the recent battle. Luke Air Force Base reports they have lost one jet fighter in combat with the invaders and three of their machines are visible above treetops moving southeast towards Sedona. The creatures are advancing with incredible speed and they seem to be making a conscious effort to avoid destruction of the cities and countryside. It is apparent their objective is to crush, paralyze and disrupt communications and transportation. They stop to destroy power lines, bridges, roads, rail lines, airport runways and telephone and broadcast relay stations. This is Steve Clausen. We've just received a report from Winslow, Arizona, that campers have stumbled on a second cylinder similar to the first embedded in a section of Clear Creek about 10 miles south of Winslow. U.S. Army ground troops are proceeding from Flagstaff to blow up the second cylinder before it can open and become operational. Luke Air Force Base reconnaissance flights have reported enemy machines are increasing speed, destroying everything in their pass. It's believed that they may be on a heading to connect with their allies just south of Prescott. The commander of Luke Air Force Base has advised that a squadron of F-16 fighter jets has been dispatched and we are patching into their radio transmissions at this time. This is Flight Leader. We have a visual sighting of the targets. Over. Flight Leader, this is Command Center. What is your range and heading? Over. We're right on top of them. Over. Flight Leader, let's take them out and get home. That's affirmative. What's happening now? It's difficult to see with the small part making it on the ground to get a better view. It appears they've stopped to repair the one we had. Affirmative. Let's get rid of the rest. Base Commander, we did not see the target visually. It appears that something looks like smoke is 
Can you estimate from their previous position? Over. This is Bart Graves, uh, KTAR 620. We have lost contact uh, with the Air Force Squadron leader. Uh, reports are coming in now that the invaders have been sighted just north of Phoenix and that they are discharging a heavy black smoke. Now, we have been notified that the black smoke appears to be some type of poisonous gas. We are asking people, please do not panic. Uh, Jeff Munn is on the roof of the Bank One building. Jeff, uh, what do you see? This is Jeff Munn. I'm on the roof of the Bank One building in downtown Phoenix. The bells you hear are to warn the people to evacuate the city as these things approach. It's estimated that in the last couple of hours, a million people have moved out along the roads to the south and west. The freeways are backed up and automobiles are requested to stay off I-17. I-10 to the south and west looks like a parking lot. We've not received any communications from anyone north of Cape Creek for the past 10 minutes. It appears our Air Force has been wiped out, and, and we don't know who or what can even defend us from these invaders. This may be my last broadcast. I'll stay with you as long as possible. As I look at the city below me, the streets are jammed, kind of like New Year's Eve. I can see the black smoke in the distance. Wait, I can see one of them now. Now another. It looks as if they're close to the Metro Center area. They seem to be floating like giant, deadly balloons gliding over some nightmare parade. I've just received word that more cylinders have been falling all over the country. New York, Chicago, Texas, Michigan, Kansas. First cylinder is stopped just north of the deck park, probably near Park Central. It appears to be waiting for the others. They've lined up like a group of linebackers getting ready to run over their opponents. They're lifting their metal hands, and the black smoke is coming out. This is the end now. Black smoke is drifting over the city. The people in the streets see it and are running over and trampling each other. They <coughs> dropping like flies, and the, <coughs> the smoke is spreading faster. People are trying to run away from it, <coughs> but it's but it's no use. It's crossing McDowell now, <laughs> Roosevelt, it's getting near Van Buren, <laughs> it's 100 yards away, 50 feet,
ATAR presentation of War of the Worlds, a dramatization of the novel by H.G. Wells. This is a fictional Halloween performance. Our story continues. My name is Richard Pearson. I don't know who or what may read this as I set down these words on paper. I'm obsessed by the thought that I may be the last living man on earth. I've been hiding in an empty miner's shack not too far from the W.W. Ranch in Williams, a small island of daylight cut off by the black smoke from the rest of the world. All that has happened in the world before the arrival of these monstrous creatures now seems part of another life, a, a life that has no continuity with the present. The lonely derelict who pencils these words on the back of some astronomical notes bearing the signature of Richard Pearson. I look down at my blackened hands, my torn shoes, my tattered clothes, and try to connect them with a professor who worked at the Lowell Observatory and lived in the beautiful community of Sedona, and who on the night of October 31st glimpsed through his telescope an orange splash of light on a distant planet. My wife, my colleagues, my students, my books, my observatory, my... My world. Where are they? Did they ever exist? Am I Richard Pearson? What day is it? Do days exist without calendars? Does time pass when there are no human hands left to wind the clocks? In writing down my daily life, I tell myself, I shall preserve human history between the dark covers of this little book... It was meant to record the movement of the stars. But to write, I must live. And to live, I must eat. I found some stale peanuts in a cupboard and an orange that wasn't too spoiled to swallow. I keep watch at the window. Time to time, I catch sight of one of the invaders above the black smoke. The smoke still holds the shack in its black coil. But at length there's a hissing sound, and suddenly I see a creature mounted on his machine, spraying the air with a jet of steam, as if to dissipate the smoke. I watch in a corner as high, huge metal legs nearly brush against the house. Exhausted by terror, I fall asleep. It's morning. Sun streams in the window. The black cloud of gas is lifted. And I realize I'm alive. The scorched meadows to the north look as though a black snowstorm has passed over them. I venture from the house and make my way to a road... No traffic. Here and there a wrecked car. Baggage overturned. A blackened skeleton. 
I pushed south. For some reason, I feel safer trailing these monsters than running away from them. I keep a careful watch. I've seen them feed. Should one of their machines appear over the top of trees, I'm ready to fling myself flat on the ground. I pick a bunch of pine nuts to fill my pockets. I must keep alive. For two days, I walk in a vague southerly direction through a desolate world. Finally, I notice a living creature, a small red squirrel in a pine tree. I stare at him and wonder. He stares back at me. I believe at that moment, the animal and I shared the same emotion. The joy of finding another living being. I push south. I find dead cows in a blackish field beyond the charred ruins of a farmhouse. The silo remains standing guard over the wasteland lake, like a lighthouse deserted by the sea. Astride the silo, perches a weathercock. The arrow points south. The next day I came to a town that seemed vaguely familiar, yet its buildings were strangely dwarfed and leveled off as if a giant had flicked off its highest buildings with a nonchalant sweep of his hand. I reached the outskirts. I found Prescott, undemolished, but humbled by some whim of the advancing unknowns. Suddenly, with an odd feeling of being watched, I caught sight of something crouching in a doorway. I made a step toward it, and it rose up and became a man. A man armed with a large knife. Stop! Where did you come from? I, I come from many places a long time ago. At least that's how it feels. Uh, from Williams. Williams, huh? That's where all this started. That's where those things landed. Yes. Williams. <laughs> There's no food here. This is my country. All this end of town, down to the Verde River. There's only food for one. Which way are you going? I, I don't know. I I guess I'm looking for, uh, for people. What's your name? Carl. What was that? Did you hear something just then? Only a bird. Wait. It's a live bird. Yeah, you get to know that birds have shadows these days. Say, we're in the open here. Let's crawl into the doorway and talk. Carl, have you seen any of them? They've gone to Phoenix. At night, the sky is alive with their lights, just as if people were still living in it. By daylight, you can't see them. Five days ago, a couple of them carried something big across the mesa over there. I think they're working on their machines, so they'll fly. Fly? Then it's all over for humanity, Carl. There's only you and me. Two of us left. They got themselves in solid. They wrecked the greatest country in the world. Those green stars, they're probably falling somewhere every night. They've only lost one machine. There isn't anything to do. We're done. We're licked. Where were you? You're in uniform. I was in the... <laughs> I was in the National Guard. It's funny. This is no more a war than there can be a war between men and ants. Oh, and we're edible ants. I found that out. What'll they do to us? I've thought it all out. 
right now we're caught as we're wanted. The Martians, or whatever they are, only have to go a few miles to get the crowd on the run. But they won't keep doing that. They'll begin catching us, systematic-like, keeping the best and storing us in cages and things. They haven't even begun yet. Not begun what? All that's happened so far is because we don't have sense enough to keep quiet, bothering them with guns and firebombs and such stuff, losing our heads and rushing off in crowds, screaming. Now, instead of our rushing around blind, we've got to fix ourselves up according to the way things are now. Cities, nations, civilizations, progress, they're done. But if that's so, what is there to live for? Well, there won't be any more concerts for a million years or so. No nice little dinners or restaurants. If it's amusement you're after, I guess you're out of luck. So, Carl, what's left? Life. Life, that's what. I want to live. And so do you. We're not going to be exterminated, and I don't mean to be caught either. Or tamed, fattened, and bred like a sheep. What are you going to do? I'm going on. Right under their feet. I got a plan. Men as men are finished. We don't know enough. We'll have to learn a lot more if we're going to beat the odds. And we've got to live and keep free while we learn. I've thought it all out, see? Now tell me. Well, it isn't all of us that are made for wild beasts, and that's the way it has to be. That's why I watched you. All these little office workers that used to live in these houses, they'd be no good. They don't have what it takes. They just used to run off to work. I've seen hundreds of them running wild to get to work on time for fear that they'd be canned if they were late, running back after work in time for dinner. Little lives insured and invested in case of accidents. On Sundays, worried about the afterlife. The Martians will be a godsend for those guys. Nice roomy cages, good food, careful breeding, no worries. After a week or so chasing about the fields and empty stomachs, they'll come and be glad to be caught. You've thought it all out, haven't you? Oh, you bet I have. And that isn't all. These Martians will make pets of some of them, train them to do tricks. Who knows, one may even get sentimental over the pet boy or girl who grew up and had to be killed. Some, maybe will be trained to hunt us. No, that's impossible. No human being. Yes, they will. There's people who will do it gladly. If one of them ever comes after me, pow! In the meantime, you and I and others like us, where are we to live when these things own the earth? I've got it all figured out. We'll live underground. I've been thinking about all the different mines and caves around here. You're beginning to see, right? And we'll get a bunch of strong men together, no weak ones. And you want to include me? Well, I gave you the chance, didn't I? We won't quarrel about that. Go on. We've got to make safe places for us to stay in. Get all the books we can, science books. That's where men like you come in, see? We'll raid the libraries and even spy on them. It may not be much, but we have to learn before... Just imagine this. Four or five of their own fighting machines suddenly start off, lasers shooting right and left, and not a Martian in them. No Martians. Men. Men who have learned the way how. It may even be in our time. Imagine having one of them lovely things with a laser beam wide and free. We'd turn it on the Martians. We'd turn it on the people who wouldn't follow us. We'd bring everybody down to their knees. And that's your plan? You and me and a few more of us. We'd own the world. I see. Hey, what's the matter? Where are you going? Not to your world, I'm afraid. Goodbye, Carl. Good luck. After parting with Carl, I walked and walked. I got past Lake Pleasant, crossing down the foothills toward Phoenix. Cautiously, I walked along the freeway toward the city. As I walked, I passed cars covered with a black powder, people sitting dead in their seats, looking like a still photograph of a family outing. 
There's an evil, ominous smell from some of the houses. I wandered past Metro Center and stood alone. I caught the sight of a lean dog running down Dunlap with a piece of dark brown meat in his jaws and a pack of starving mongrels at his heels. He made a wide circle around me as though he feared I might prove a fresh competitor or possibly sizing me up for his next dinner. I walked down the freeway in the direction of that strange powder, past silent buildings and empty stores, past restaurants and gas stations without life. On Camelback Road, I looked in the window of one of the car dealers and the 1996 models on the showroom floor. I smiled at the irony of, would there even be a 1996? And I kept walking south. I watched a flock of birds circling in the sky as if this were any November day, then went on. I was about to enter the Channel 5 building to spend the night when I caught sight of one of their machines. It seemed to be close, but was probably more in the vicinity of Encanto Park. I suddenly had this, this insane impulse. I ran wildly from the building toward the park. I crossed the Black Canyon running toward the golf course. I kept going to the park, over to the lagoon, and that's where I stopped. I could see 19 of those great metal giants standing in a row on 7th Avenue. They were empty, their steel arms hanging limply by their sides. I looked for the monsters that inhabited those machines. My eyes were attracted to an immense flock of birds circling the ground. I walked in their direction, and suddenly, there before me, stark and silent, lay the creatures. Hungry birds pecking and tearing brown shreds of flesh from the dead bodies. Later, when their bodies were examined in laboratories, it was found that they were killed by an organism against which their systems were unprepared. Destroyed after all man's defenses had failed by the humblest thing that God in his wisdom put on this earth. A bacteria Before the cylinders fell, there was a general persuasion that through all of space no life existed beyond the petty surface of our minute sphere. Now we see further, dim and wonderful is the vision I have conjured up in my mind of life spreading slowly from this little seedbed of the solar system throughout the inanimate vastness of space. But that's still a remote dream. It may be that the destruction of the extraterrestrials is only a reprieve. To them, and not to us, is the future ordained, perhaps. It seems strange now to sit in my peaceful study at the observatory, writing down this last chapter of the record begun at a small ranch near Williams, Arizona. Strange to see from my window children playing in the streets. Strange to see young people strolling in the park. 
where the new spring grass heals the last black scars of a bruised earth. Strange to watch the sightseers enter the museum where the dissembled parts of one of those ghastly killing machines are kept on public view. Strange when I recall the time when I first saw it, bright and clean, silent and deadly, under the dawn of the last great day. Pat McMahon, out of character, to assure you that the War of the Worlds has no further significance than as the Halloween offering it was intended to be. It is KTAR Radio's own version of dressing up in a sheet and jumping out of a bush saying, boo. We couldn't soap all your windows or go to each house for candy, so we did the next best thing. We hope you enjoyed our production and that for the next few hours... If you imagine that you see the frightening forms of otherworldly beings advancing stealthily toward your home. If your doorbell rings, remember, that's no Martian outside. It's Halloween. On behalf of all of us of the KTAR players, thank you and good night. You've been listening to War of the Worlds 1995, an original adaptation of the H.G. Wells classic based on the Mercury Theater 1938 broadcast. Written by Duffy McMahon. Dialogue direction by Pat McMahon. Sound design and technical direction by Doran Frutterhouse. Starring Pat McMahon as Professor Pearson. Tom Dillon is Wilmoth. Preston Westmoreland is Brigadier General Montgomery Smith. Pat Murphy is Captain Lansing. And Doran Frutterhouse is Carl. Appearing as themselves were Brad Sesma, Bill Strauss, Bart Graves, Ed Phillips, Ned Foster, Steve Clausen, Doug Ninsel, Bruce Kirk, Barbara Villa, Mark McCoy, and Todd Wallace. Also appearing were Michael Dixon, Jack McKay, Rosemary Scarfo, Jay Lawrence, Eric Hansen, Cherie Coleman, Michael Joseph, Kevin Ray, and Greg Schulte. Special thanks to Deanna Haywood of Bank One. This is Al Vanek. Thanks for listening. That will do it for this portion of War of the Worlds Week, but it's not the last episode. There is more to come, including the annual restreaming of the original broadcast from 1938 with Orson Welles and the Mercury Theater on the air. For all the past War of the Worlds Week specials from over the years, all of that can be found on this feed or at neozaz.com. And there you can also find a lot more Halloween fun, more Halloween episodes, more specials, and just more Halloween content than you can shake a trick-or-treat bag at. We do have a very small and often neglected social media presence. We are at Neozaz on Twitter and Instagram and Neozaz Podcast on Facebook. The last thing I have to do in this episode, of course, is to say thank you for listening, and I will see you in that next episode. Music